Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. So I always go back to what's the personal experience? How does the customer feel? Are we remembering constantly that it's not human beings serving technology, it's technology serving human beings, and making sure that we keep that front of mind at all times. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. You've heard me say it before. As an industry, I think there's a ton to be learned from the experts outside of our industry. Today, we chat with Afshin Afshar, who proves me right. Afshin is in the business of taking good companies and making them great. And in recent years, he's turned his attention to the restaurant industry. In our conversation today, we run through the tools and tactics he uses to take restaurant concepts to the next level. So what I do today is I am the founder and managing partner of a group called Pilot Wave Holdings. We work with and acquire small businesses of industry agnostics, so all industries, and I'll get to the restaurant part in a second. And we help modernize and prepare them for a fully digital omnichannel world. Now, inside of that, we have partnered with a group called Paskey Investors led by Jason Mazingo and another group called the Bielstein Group led by Fred Bielstein and partners to focus on the restaurant industry. But it's with the same credo and the same outlook of helping them modernize, positioning them or helping them position them to be competitive in a very dynamic omni-channel world, as you very well know. And we think the thesis of modern tech in more traditional businesses is extremely important and really no more resonant in any industry as much as it is in the restaurant space. Prior to founding Pilot Wave and working with Jason and Fred and their team, I was a senior partner at a large alternative asset management firm called Cerberus. Cerberus is an industry agnostic player itself. And it was in that role that I got exposed to a whole panoply of industries, including restaurants, but also food and beverage and retail and healthcare and so on and so forth. But always with the angle of how can technology and data help these businesses. And it was a wonderful experience working directly for the CEO there, a guy named Stephen Feinberg. I was the chief AI officer, artificial intelligence officer. Now, quickly before that, I spent most of my career up to that point in large financial firms. Before that, I was in academia. I have a PhD in what would now be called artificial intelligence from Stanford. I'm a medical doctor as well from Stanford. And from just all those sort of the whistle-stop tour of my background, you can already tell I'm an interdisciplinary guy. And my nature, my DNA, is finding patterns across disciplines and pursuits that 
frankly, others miss. And to give it back to the beginning, your question, I see that in restaurants. I see it in many, 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 many small, medium, large restaurants where things that folks are doing at Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and frankly, other large restaurants like Domino's on the pizza space or Starbucks or Chipotle could really be applied and leveraged to the smaller restaurant business. Well, and I think that through that lens, it actually makes the restaurant industry look more attractive, not less, because there are so many areas that could be improved, right? 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. The restaurant industry is, I think, especially coming out of COVID, very well positioned to take advantage of these trends. And we get excited, myself and my partners, around really helping these businesses get on an equal footing with the larger enterprises that have been doing this for a little bit longer. And I would assume that being an outsider and looking in, it has its advantages, but it also has its drawbacks. And I'm curious to know, what have you learned from the restaurant industry that you think has benefited you in endeavors outside of hospitality? I think that there is an immense amount of wisdom to be gained by working in hospitality that I hadn't had. And the most basic thing I would say is it's all about the customer experience and it's all about really providing, at least in the full service industry, which is where we've been spending much of our time, an environment and a product that the customers really feel well taken care of and want to come back to you, build that loyalty. I think sometimes from folks with my background, they look at the Excel spreadsheets describing the business and forget about the fact that you're actually selling to a human and you need to think about that human. And a lot of what I do, my teams do, uh, my partners do, is think about how to make that experience better. And we use technology to do that along with other things, but it's really about making that human experience better. And I think that's really the struggle, right? I think that there are so many innovations that we could adopt as an industry. But on the other side of that coin, you've got to look at the expectations of the customer and say, I might be able to create a more efficient system, but how does that feel? How does that affect the people that I'm trying to serve? How do you strike that balance? 100%. And I love the fact you went there because as you heard in my background just now, I'm a technical guy. You could be forgiven for calling me perhaps bookish. (laughs) And what I've told my teams for my entirety of my career is that EQ, emotional quotient, is more important than IQ, intellectual quotient. And I think that folks with a technical background, within a mathematical background, can often forget that. And the success or failure, in my opinion, of a restaurant, but really other businesses, is hinges on the appreciation of EQ. And it's not just the customer experience is paramount, don't get me wrong, but it's the EQ and the customer experience as it relates to every player in the company. So the servers, the kitchen managers, the back of house professionals, the folks uh, thinking that run the stores, the GMs, the corporate home office folks, and all of those people are people. And with that comes a need to make sure that you understand their experiences and you can create a piece of technology as well as set of products that they find very intuitive to use and delights them, genuinely delights them. And I think a lot of folks forget to do that. In the conversation we're having is super relevant because this is the last big opportunity we have before the world gets back to work to redefine as an industry what hospitality is and what it means and to 
especially improve upon it for a new generation. Because I would argue that the younger generation, the millennials and the generation thereafter, do prize efficiency over a personalized touch. And that the type of personalized touch they're looking for has less to do with a human trying to figure out what they want and how they want it and more to do with their preferences being cataloged. <laughs> right? I mean, does that yeah. sound weird? No, it doesn't sound weird at all. It sounds like a lot of conversations I've found myself a part of over the past few years. It part of my prior roles, I glossed over this for the purposes of brevity, but part of my former roles has always involved investing in startup companies. And you will often hear the pitch of, we are gathering all this data and we're looking to sell this data somehow. Listen, data monetization is a part of our economy. It's not disappearing anytime soon, maybe even ever. But to your point, if it's not in the service of a better human experience, ultimately that data that you're trying to monetize won't actually be worth what you think it would be worth. So I always go back to what's the personal experience? How does the customer feel? Are we remembering constantly that it's not human beings serving technology is technology serving human beings and making sure that we keep that front of mind at all times. Speaking high level, what advantages do you think your outsider perspective has offered and contributes to the way you improve restaurants? So I think it's exactly as you put it before. It's the ability to look at something with a bit of fresh eyes. The restaurants that I've seen and that my team and I have seen they are, I think, very similar to restaurants you may find all across the United States. They tend to do things a little bit more manually. They tend to have processes that are somewhat rigid in their formulation. They do things a certain way because they've always done things a certain way. And that's not even getting to the fact that there exist better tools these days for doing all sorts of things, everything from managing labor, to ordering inventory, to having a better customer experience, to reaching folks to social better, et cetera, et cetera. I'm one of many voices who talk about these things in the restaurant industry these days. But it's really the ability to say, hey, why are you doing inventory in this way? Why aren't you providing this service to your customers, whatever it may be? And I'll keep it high level in the spirit of your question. We'll get to specifics in a second. And say, just ask questions, ask the dumb questions, right? I don't have the cultural inertia. I'm happy to be sort of the idiot in the room and say, oh, I'm sure nine out of 10 things I'm asking about are just obviously stupid, but maybe one out of 10 things could be helpful. Well, and I'm sure there are a bunch of people listening that are like, hey, man, give me a bunch of money. Come in and fix my restaurant. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm curious, how do you spot the winners when you're looking for restaurant investment opportunities? What are the individual elements that you're looking for? The common thread of your questions, it all comes down to people. People, 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 people. So a great management team. We are not so hubristic to think that we know every business better than the founders, better than the current management team, every aspect of every business. So we look for partners, owners, founder owners, management teams that know their business well, have a good business, have a robust business, but need help acceleration in growth acceleration and modernization. And it's like finding a good partner in anything, personally or professionally. It's understanding that they've done something great and we can help them make it even better. I think the next thing down is product, 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 product. What are you serving? Is it a macro trend that we believe in? Is it a demographic that we think is growing? And how do we think we can help that given the capabilities that we have? 
So I, those are the two main things, people and product. What about numbers, 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 numbers? Well, of course. Listen, I'm a mathematical guy. Obviously, I like numbers and I like looking at numbers and my team is no different. But I think there are lots of businesses that have numbers that are past a minimum bar, right? It's not like it needs to be like this or like that or like the other thing. Numbers are interesting and important. They are neither necessary nor sufficient for a successful outcome. Let's get back to people. What are the similarities that you found between founders that you like? Founders that we like are founders who are industrious, founders who are fastidious, and founders who are open-minded. There's a bunch of other stuff as well, but let's start with those three because, as we know, three is the perfect number. So industrious, right? What do I mean by that? There's a lot that's packed in there. Folks, obviously, who work hard. No one wants to work with someone who's lazier than themselves, but it's more than just that. It's folks who are really interested in putting the energy with us to help grow the business and continue doing what they've always been doing. goes back to, we know what we can do. We help accelerate. We help potentiate. But we're not going to do everything of everything because you guys know how to do that. Fastidious. What we've often found is, no secret, restaurants are generally a low-margin business. The details matter. The little things are the big things, or the big things are the little things. A lot of times, the folks who are less successful, it's not because they miss these large gaps. It's because it's a bunch of little things that added up that together become something material. And the last one is open-mindedness. What we bring to the table is an open, collaborative discussion. And by definition, our value proposition is to help them grow with capabilities that they would not otherwise have had access to. And if you like doing what you're doing, you don't want to change what you're doing, it's not going to be a productive relationship. So I think those three things are the most important. When you go into a business like Brick, and the goal is to improve operations right off the bat, what are common weak points that you've seen across almost all of the restaurant concepts that you've looked at? I think it comes down to, I hesitate to say simple, but fundamental foundational things. Knowing who your customer is, knowing the emotional use case of why they come to you. What is the need state of your customer coming to your restaurant versus another restaurant? Being really focused on the emotional need state of your customer, that will help drive every other decision you make. Your branding, your advertising, your culinary experience, the technology you want to use, and how the back of house works. And over time, over a multi-decade evolution of a concept that's founder-owned and led, very often people just start adding on, in tech we would call it scope creep. They just add on little things over time and the whole concept gets diluted a little bit. What we start with very often at the beginning of any conversation is, okay, who's your customer? Why do they come to you? And that helps focus everything else. Right on. My follow-up question was going to be, and what are the fixes for these problems? But it's focus, right? That's what you guys are doing. It's ideation. Well, so that's what we start with. And we have a bunch of partners that we bring in to help do that, which involves qualitative research, quantitative research to help inform the conversation. And then once you start with who's the customer and what's their emotional needs say, well, what is the benefit promise of coming to you? Then you start building pillars. Like what is the on-premise offering look like? What does the off-premise offering look like? What are the technology solutions that we want to have? For instance, there's a, one thing on that, since that's my bailiwick for most of my life. Imagine we say that the benefit promise of your customer is 
to have a warm, personalized human connection with the restaurant, be it the server or the hostess or whoever else. Then having a technology solution that, for instance, does not involve physical menus or having servers that are very abrupt is going to directly counter to the benefit promise. But if instead the benefit promise is, I want good food fast, then I actually do want QR codes all around the restaurant, so I'm in and out. I mean, it's obvious once you break it down systematically, but very often over the multi-decades that folks own concepts and evolve, they lose sight of that. So we just take that first, you have to agree on what the benefit promise is, and then you go systematically through every pillar and make sure that you don't lose that North Star. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 Sanitizing Spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. I want to do it like a brain dumping exercise with you because this is such an amazing opportunity to inform and educate and inspire independent restaurateurs listening. And so where do you see opportunities for independent restaurant owners and operators to improve? What are we missing that we could implement in our restaurants tomorrow? So I think the way to think about that problem, so there's a continuity thought across your questions, is be clear to yourself what your benefit promise is. Be a bit ruthless about what you exclude from that benefit promise. And then what offerings you exclude based on that benefit promise. And then be systematic about how you approach all the various offerings of your restaurant and be really directed and maybe even linear in going through all the various things, all the functions of your restaurant from front of house to back of house to the culinary experience to obviously technology, which is what I spent my career doing. And if we were to double click on technology for a bit, what does the website look like? How does that match what you thought the benefit promise was? How easy is it to order off your website? How do you reach out to your customers through an omni-channel way? Make sure that you are collecting the right data to the previous question that you had asked so that you can meet your customer in a way that they want to be met. So I would just be just very systematic about it. And what you'll find is by excluding things that don't match your North Star, you're actually going to be cutting costs and getting a higher loyalty. And that will allow you to then generate cash flow to invest in these other things that I just mentioned, which will require some amount of investment. Are there foundational questions that we should be asking, that we should be questioning? Like, does it need to be a low margin business? How important is repeat customers in fine dining? With a great example, I own a 6,000 square foot mission rated fine dining restaurant. Right. We focused on repeat business in the way that we hope to get you back within 12 months, because at the end of the day, like once you spent $250 on a meal for two people, you're not coming back next weekend. I wish you would, but you're not. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And those sorts of questions are specific to the segment that your restaurant is, right? So let's take your four Michelin star restaurant that you just mentioned. What you'd want to do, and that is potentially a very crystal clear benefit promise. It is a luxurious meal that is white glove service. And depending upon the sort of culinary experience you're going for, you're in that space somewhere. Now, you'd want to know a bit more about when and how your customers come to you. Now, it very well may be that 40% of your customers come to you once every three years. And in that case, well, you might be less focused on the repeat customers. But it may be that the majority of your profits are coming from customers who maybe come to you every quarterly bonus. Now, this is where the data comes into play. So to go a little bit deeper and perhaps a little bit more technical, once you have an idea of what you're to link to what I've been saying before, what the benefit promises of your brand or your concept, what causes customers to show up, it'll then drive you to what questions do I want to answer about those customers? You asked a very good one. Do I need to care about repeat customers? Then I can gather data on those customers to answer that question. And that data can be acquired. You can purchase that data, actually. There are alternative data providers that will give you that. Or you can use the data you already have, which is probably cheaper to you. And then you can say, well, this is where the open-mindedness comes to play, what I mentioned earlier. You can follow the results of that data analysis and be open-minded to the results. It very well may be that we don't care about open repeat customers, or it could be that in your restaurant, we do. And if we do, then that allow us to really target those repeat customers hard on the various channels that we have available to ourselves. And furthermore, when they're in our store, to give them an ultra, ultra VIP experience because it'll increase their return rate by 5%. For, for instance, if their answer to that data analysis question is the reverse, then we don't do that. And we actually instead go after folks who have not come to our restaurant before, and we can tell that from the data, and have potentially something else happen in their lives that we might know about that gives them some additional discretionary cash so they want to come to us. Two very different approaches that come from an analysis of the data that came from our hypothesis about what our benefit promise was. That was actually my own life experience. So in that restaurant, we ended up having to make a very clear decision as to what the goal was going to be with each customer. And the goal was if they came to us on a holiday, we wanted them to come in within six months for dinner. And that if they had come in for dinner, we wanted to catch them within 12 months for a holiday. In looking at that and seeing how much money we would make off of that, we also had to get into a new vertical, which was events. And so we focused really heavily on events. And that's how we took a $2.1 million restaurant to a $3.4 million restaurant in about 12 months. I couldn't have told a better anecdote myself. That's a wonderful anecdote. In my parlance, how I would have framed it to my framework is that what you did is you had a hypothesis about different use cases that mm -hmm. your customers had, and you personalized your marketing based off those use cases, and you iterated, and most importantly, I think potentially what got missed in your story to the lay audience is that you measured the success. I'm all about measuring, right? Data and numbers are important things when used correctly. And you said, hey, we were 2.1, we went to 3.4. Imagine you did what you did and you didn't see any improvement. Well, then you shouldn't have any religion about that approach and go to a different one. 
you bring up a great point because when we looked at churn, right, the customers that came once and were never coming again, when we estimated what that was relative to getting everyone else back once within six or 12 months, what we saw was an incremental increase in revenue year to year. And that's when we knew that we had to create a new vertical. If the restaurant was still open today, we'd have multiple verticals. I would be into virtual events and retail and a ton of off-premise experiences, large format catering for individuals and families. I think that there are endless opportunities to capitalize today. But pre-pandemic, in-house events seem like the best way to go. So what you're talking about, there's a relatively new discipline in customer analytics. I don't know if this is familiar to you or your audience, but it's called customer-based corporate valuation. And essentially what that is, without getting into too much mathematical detail, is breaking up your customer base into different segments, making mathematical equations that represent why they're using your brand, and to use that to make predictions about when they churn, what their lifetime value is, and what the cost of acquisition of new customers in that segment would be. And as a consequence of looking at your restaurant in that way by what are the various demographics and how do I follow them and track them? It allows you to have a much higher return investment of any capital dollars that you spend on either marketing or technology or culinary development or what have you. And it's something that we obviously use in our analyses, but it's a very powerful way of honing the capital expenditure and the energy and the focus of you as a restaurateur. Because it's so easy to go off of gut feel and say, you know, I think it's this and just dump a lot of money and not send any return. This is a methodology and a discipline that allows you to be a little more systematic about it. Let's open that bag of tricks a little wider. What other tools and strategies are at your disposal that you think independent restaurateurs might not know about? Yeah, so to just throw out a buzz phrase, and I'm actually kicking myself for even saying this, but there's a whole group of analytical methods that goes by the name these days of machine learning. I'm making air quotes that I don't think your audience can see because it's such an abused phrase. Now I happen to have a PhD in the field, so maybe I'm a little stronger guy by using the phrase. But what it basically means that it's using much higher powered mathematical methods to find subtler trends in behavior of the data. Practically, what does that mean? Let's pick up pulling this thread of the example that you had around the different use cases of your restaurant. If you don't mind, I'll keep on your example. Let's do it. Yeah, so I'll help you make more money in the restaurants that you help run. So you had one group of folks who come on a holiday and you want to make them come on a Sunday or a Friday. And you have the other group of folks who come on a Friday and you want to have them come on a holiday. So the way to make that a little bit more data-driven, a little more powered, is to look at all of the behavioral data publicly and privately available about those sorts of customers. So when a customer comes in, have a way of identifying that individual. And there's many ways you can do that. There's Wi-Fi connection. So almost every store these days has a Wi-Fi connection. And when your phone connects to the Wi-Fi, I can identify you. There's a loyalty number or card or program, which many, many restaurants have. By the way, not enough independent restaurants have, but many larger chains have. And that allows you to independently identify someone. There is credit card information that gets anonymized and tokenized that you can glean. There's cell phone tower data, so third-party data as you walk around the world, who are you and where are you going. 
And once you have a way to identify a customer, you can then connect them to the transaction. And almost all transactions these days in restaurants are, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, the majority are credit card based. There's obviously some that are cash. But once you have that ability to map an individual to a transaction and then map that individual transaction pair to behavior outside of your restaurant, and you can do that through various different ways that are related to the name of the customer or the MAC address, which is the actual physical address of your phone or the email that they provided. And again, there's purveyors in the space we call alternative data who will help you get more information around customers. And then that allows you to answer these sorts of questions about need state and use case, which are so critical to improving the revenue and ultimately the bottom line of your franchise. So these are methodologies that I think almost everyone in the tech world knows about. I think fewer folks outside the tech world know about, but are incredibly applicable to improving the customer experience and ultimately improving the profitability and revenue of a restaurant. Because if I know where you eat and how you even order, like what you order, I know a lot about you, a lot about you. And that allows me to market to you and get you back in the store or market to other people like you and get them in the store in a much more powerful way, in a much more cost-effective way. Outside of POS and reservation software, what tech stack would you recommend? What other tools are there outside of the two pieces of tech that everyone has in their restaurant? So, okay, wonderful. And by the way, I think the landscape of technology and restaurant is rapidly evolving, but I'll take your question at face value the way it was asked. So. Beyond POS, you have online ordering. You have to have a method to take an online order. You have to have third-party delivery connected to that in some way. You have to have a loyalty program, as we were just talking about. You have to have a Wi-Fi service in the store that connects to the loyalty program, which connects to online ordering and the POS. You have to have a backup house system that ideally would also connect to things like ordering and inventory management. You have to have an HR system that ideally would also include not only things like recruiting, hiring, and benefits, but also scheduling. If you own your own set of delivery trucks or cars or what have you, you're going to need a fleet management in a certain sense, a system. And in addition to all those things, you need to have a website and or app. Now, I list those in that way. However, as I said at the beginning, the ecosystem is rapidly evolving and we've seen a lot of consolidation in Mm -hmm. the restaurant technology space. So there's some providers who do more than one of the items I just mentioned, right? So for instance, there are very recently PAR that owns Brink bought Punch. So you have a POS plus loyalty provider put together. You have a company like Restaurant 365 that does almost everything, the accounting and the back of house and inventory and HR, et cetera, in one. You have a company like Patronix that does gift cards as well as loyalty, as well as third-party integrations, et cetera, et cetera. And it's actually a bit of a challenging space at the moment to know how to navigate because everyone's in everyone else's backyard and the puzzle pieces don't quite align perfectly. But in terms of all the functions that you need to have a world-class technology offering, it was the ones I listed. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? 
I think it's a wonderful time to be in restaurants. I think it's an incredible, exciting, rapidly growing entrepreneurial space. And as we come out of COVID, there are tremendous tailwinds that will help grow your business. And I think that the challenge that goes along with that excitement and those opportunities is the ability to harness the energy and increase customer base you're going to have in the ways to help grow your business and be incredibly effective. Obviously, myself and my partners are an organization that you can potentially work with, but there's many other folks out there who can help you. And I think that it's a wonderful time for you guys to be growing your businesses. And thank you for your attention and listening to this conversation. That's Afshin Afshar. For more on his company, go to pilotwaveholdings.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.